Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for being here with us this morning. We've spent the past two Sundays in the Gospel of Mark, and will be in the Gospel of Mark up until Easter. However, we're going to put that sermon series on hold this week for reasons that you've already heard. We suffered a significant loss this week in the life of our church with a fellow servant, a fellow friend, a sister in Christ, Sharon Finnamore, passing away on Tuesday morning. And Sharon left behind her husband, Joe, her daughter, Sarah, and her son, Jonathan, all who are members of our church. So this morning, instead of continuing on with business as usual in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to read Psalm 42 instead, because that text seemed much more appropriate and much more fitting for this moment in our church's life together. And again, while this sermon is primarily for our church, our people, we also recognize that there may be people here this morning who aren't part of our church, weren't aware of what was happening the past week, and didn't know the sister in Christ that we've lost. But I've written this sermon in hopes that it can be helpful to you as well, regardless of who you are, what's brought you here, or how long you've been here. So, with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 42. Feel free to use the Bibles we have here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go further, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that, as we're going to read in Psalm 42 here in just a few minutes, thank you that you are our rock. We've talked about it the past several weeks. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to think about it. It's easy to just say it. But this week has been a reminder to those in this church of just how unpredictable and unstable and unsteady this life sometimes can feel. And so, Father, thank you that you are our rock, that you remain steady, that you remain strong, that you remain solid when so many things in this world, so many things that we think are permanent, ultimately pass away and fade away. And so, Father, remind us of that this morning, regardless of what it is that we might be going through. I pray that we would look to you as the rock of our salvation, that we would look to the cross of Christ, that we would look to the empty tomb of Christ as our hope and our joy and our celebration, even in the midst of grief and suffering and sorrow. Again, Lord, we thank you for this time we have together to worship you, that no matter what it is that happens on Monday or Wednesday or Friday, Sunday remains constant. And Father, I pray that you would keep us grounded on Sunday mornings and that our hope in you wouldn't just be a Sunday morning event, but would transfer over to every other day of the week, during the best of weeks, during the worst of weeks, during very normal weeks. I pray that our hope in you would be a hope that we have every day. Again, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for Christ. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one commentator has described the Psalms as the heart of the Old Testament. It's by far the longest book of the Old Testament and the longest book of the Bible as a whole. The Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers and poems and reflections from God's people 
written over a long period of time. One psalm goes back as far as Moses. Many of them are attributed to King David, and some psalms are anonymous. The psalms were a central part of Israel's formal public worship. Psalms were sung, taught, and recited when God's people gathered together at the temple. The psalms were also part of private, individual devotions. They were memorized, meditated upon, passed down through the generations. John Calvin once referred to the psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the soul. That's because the Psalms are an incredibly diverse reflection of the entire human experience. The ups, the downs, the victories, the losses, the successes, and the failures. There are Psalms appropriate for times of joy, celebration, and thankfulness. And there are also Psalms written for times of sorrow, anger, and doubt. The Psalms can be particularly helpful when we as God's people have a difficult time putting our thoughts and our feelings into words. They can be a model for how to express ourselves to God with honesty, transparency, and vulnerability during both the highest highs and the lowest lows of this life. The Psalms are a record of how God's people in the past poured out their hearts to God. And the Psalms can teach us how we can pour out our hearts to God today. In addition, the Psalms remind us that we are not the first and we are not the only people to feel the way we do during the best of times and the worst of times. So for just about every season of life you find yourself in, just about every situation you face, there is a Psalm somewhere for you. They can be helpful no matter what it is that you're confronting. However, if there's one area where the book of Psalms can be especially useful, one way that they truly excel in terms of helping God's people in this life, it's during times like this, the kind of week we found ourselves in as a church this week. The Psalms can be incredibly helpful during times of grief and mourning, or to use a more biblical word that we don't hear quite as much today, Times of lament. Many, if not most, of the Psalms can be read during times of pain, suffering, and loss. And part of the beauty of the Psalms is that they give a legitimate voice to our heartbreak, not denying it, not dismissing it, while also calling us to faith, confidence, and hope through those times. And so my prayer is that's what Psalm 42 will do for us today. I hope it can help us put to words the pain that we're all feeling after the loss of a sister in Christ. I hope it can help inspire you to put into words what you're feeling when you're facing whatever it is that you might be facing right now. Whatever it is that you might be facing this coming week that you don't even know about at this moment. I pray that Psalm 42 can give voice to our pain while also encouraging us, challenging us, and reminding us of the hope that we have in the midst of despair and in the midst of trials. So, starting in Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul was cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As we study Psalm 42, we can break it down into three core parts. First, we have the introduction or the invocation in verse one. The psalmist, or in this case, the psalmists, It tells us that this psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah, a group of people who were priestly singers in the temple. In this psalm, they are invoking God's attention. They're calling out to God. They're addressing these words to God. From there, we have the complaint. We see it in verses 2 through 4, and then again in verses 6 through 10. The complaint tells us that not all is well in the life of the man Pictured in Psalm 42. He's suffering. And he's expressing his sorrow, his confusion, and his frustration to God. Not attempting to hide it. In hopes that God will hear his cry and bring his suffering to an end. And then third, we have what's called the expression of confidence. It appears in verses 5 and 6, and then again in verse 11. The man of Psalm 42 is walking the tightrope between despair and hope. Again, he's not remotely attempting to pretend that everything's okay. But he's also trying to remember that God is still his source of hope and still his salvation. That God is still worthy of his praise, even in this time of severe hardship. If you look a little bit more closely at the complaint in verses 2 through 4 and 6 through 10, one thing you'll notice is the recurring imagery of water that the psalmist uses. In verses 2 through 4, this man is thirsting for God's presence during a time when it feels like, and during a time when his enemies are insisting, that God is absent. He's thirsty. He says his tears are nonstop. He says he's pouring out his soul. In verses 6 through 10, we see more water. 
The man compares his suffering to the overwhelming strength and size of an ocean. The relentlessness of a waterfall. The waves are crashing all around him with no end in sight. They just keep coming. And as a result, it feels like he's drowning. The psalmist is also very frank in directing some of his frustration and some of his confusion, not just at the enemies who mock him, but at God. He says the breakers and the waves that are submerging him belong to God. There's part of him that wants to blame God for sending them. There's part of him that wants to blame God for allowing them. Why has God forgotten him? Why has this happened to him? Why do his enemies appear to be right? And why won't God step in and relieve his pain? Again, he feels as though he's drowning. He longs for God to put an end to it all. To wake him up from his nightmare. He's begging God to do something, to do anything, to reach down and pull him up for air. The enemies mock. The waves crash. And it seems like God is silent. But through it all, the man still calls God his rock. He just wants things to go back to the way they were before. When he was on top of the world. When he was respected, admired, when he led people to the temple and they were all celebrating together. He wants to go back when all was well. But he still calls God his rock. Even though things aren't the same as they once were. And might not ever be the same as they once were. Now I'd imagine that for many of us in this church, this week has had moments of feeling like the man in Psalm 42. Especially for three of us in particular. But even if you're not part of this church, and even if you didn't know the sister in Christ that we've been mourning this week, and so honestly, you come in and you don't really feel as sad as the rest of us right now. You might even feel a little bit out of place. Well, someday you will face this sort of grief. Or maybe you already have. Because in this life, all of us will eventually face unexpected, overwhelming waves of suffering and pain that throw us underwater and make us feel like rag dolls. You will face seasons when hardship comes completely out of the blue, hits you with the power of a waterfall, seems as relentless as the waves of the ocean, and it leaves you stunned, disoriented, and hurt. And in that moment, you may understandably, find yourself frustrated with God. You may find yourself wondering why in the world he would subject you to something like this. Well, Psalm 42 makes no effort to paper over those feelings. It makes no effort to sugarcoat those feelings or pretend those feelings aren't there. Psalm 42 expresses those feelings and it engages them no holds barred. But it's important to know that that's not all Psalm 42 does. It's not all complaint. And Psalm 42 reminds us that we as God's people do not live lives of complaint and lament alone either. We already picked apart the complaint 
But we have to look at the expression of confidence. Verses 5 and 6, verse 11. Again, this is the part of the psalm that is repeated word for word. You can almost picture the psalmist saying it to himself over and over and over again. Working hard to remind himself that he still has reason to hope in God. He says it twice. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Since he says it twice, we'll read it twice. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's almost like the psalmist knows all that stuff is true in his head. But he has to repeat it to himself over and over and over again to convince himself of it in his heart. I'm sure we've all been in that position before. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You know, if you really want to know the answer to that question, it's not hard to find. We read it in the complaint. His soul feels cast down because he's hurting. His soul feels cast down because of the enemies who are mocking him, because it feels like God is silent, because it seems like everything he knew and loved and rejoiced in has been taken from him. In other words, this man has every reason to feel the way he does. It's understandable that his soul feels cast down. To say it's anything else would be a lie. And yet he still repeats, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This week our church has been full of people with downcast souls. Because we lost one of our own. Someone we loved. Someone we prayed with. Someone we sang with. Someone we studied God's word with. Someone we cared for, served, served with, and served us. That person's no longer here. And of course, our siblings in Christ, Joe, Sarah, and Jonathan, are hurting even worse than we are. And seeing them hurt, hurts us. Seeing them weep, makes us weep. Thus, many of our souls are cast down. And with good reason. And like the man in Psalm 42, we too have cried out to God. We too can cry out to God. We can express our sorrow, express our grief, express our anger, express our confusion, and even express our questions to God. We're allowed to do those things. We're allowed to cry out to him. As we said yesterday at the funeral, God can handle our complaints because he's God. And because he's God, he already knows them before we even say them. So we might as well express them. But Psalm 42 also reminds us. It challenges us and encourages us. Through the tears, through the breakers, and through the waves. To continue hoping in him even as we express our pain. 
It teaches us that even if life feels a little bit darker than it did last week, we shall again praise him. Because he is still our salvation. And he is still our God. And at this moment, Sharon Fenimore knows that better than any of us in this room. Now you might be thinking, come on, is it really that simple? You're telling me that no matter what's going on around me, I just have to keep telling myself to hope in God and hope in God and hope in God. And despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite all the feelings I'm feeling, I'll eventually convince myself enough to believe it. You might also argue that this is all very easy for me to say when I'm not the one who's closest to the pain. However, I'm still convinced that we still have reason to hope in God. Because scripture tells us we still have reason to hope in God. In fact, I'm convinced that we have even more obvious reason to hope in God than the man in Psalm 42 did. That's because we have God's son, Jesus Christ, to look to in our times of deepest heartache. The man in Psalm 42 was confident that one day God would defeat his enemies, bring an end to his suffering, and return him to a place of worship and praise. That's what he kept telling himself over and over again. And we too have that same hope in Jesus Christ. Our greatest enemies, Satan, who brought sin into the world through Adam and Eve, and death, which came as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. In a sense, these enemies have already been defeated by Christ. And in another sense, we look forward to the day when they will be defeated by Christ once and for all. And when that day comes, our faith and our confidence in God our dogged determination to maintain our hope in him, even in times of immense grief that can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit. One day that faith, that hope, that confidence will be vindicated and will be rewarded, will be proven true. Christ defeated those enemies, Satan, sin, and death at the cross. Satan thought he was being crafty when he entered into Judas, and Jesus was betrayed. But the cross that Satan hoped would defeat Jesus actually ended up being his own defeat. Satan signed his own death sentence when he plotted to have Jesus crucified. Sin was defeated on the cross as well. Because Jesus had no sin of his own, he was qualified to take the sins of all who believe in him on his shoulders. He was the only sacrifice sufficient to satisfy God's wrath and reconcile sinners to him. And death, the enemy that struck our church particularly hard this week, was defeated by Jesus on the cross as well. Though Jesus did die on that cross, death ultimately could not hold him. The tomb would not be occupied for long. So in that sense, our enemies, Satan, sin, and death, have already been defeated. But in another sense, Satan, sin, and death still cause havoc. And we're still waiting for them to be defeated once and for all. 
Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Sin still tempts us to wander and stray from the God who made us and the God who has saved us. And as we saw this week, death still comes for us. However, through it all, we know that because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done, these enemies have not, do not, and will not win in the end. Because they didn't win in the end over Christ. They didn't win in the end over Sharon. And they will not win in the end over all who believe in Christ. That's why we can repeat with the psalmist, even after all the shock and the sorrow of a week like this, we can repeat with him, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Because of who Christ is and what he has done, we can express our grief, express our frustration, and express our doubt like the man in Psalm 42. We can express it with honesty, transparency, and vulnerability. Not pretending that everything's okay. But we can also express our faith, our hope, and our confidence. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 10, we can be sorrowful and rejoicing at the same time. And that's what we are. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, we can grieve, but not as those without hope. And that's what we're doing. As Jesus tells Martha in John 11, we can live even though we die. And it's all because Christ already has and one day will defeat those enemies once and for all. In the meantime, we wait. And when appropriate, like this week, we lament. Our souls are cast down. There's no use in denying that. But we also have confidence that our faith and our hope in this season of grief will one day be vindicated And will one day be rewarded. We have hope and confidence that one day the waters will subside. One day the suffering will end. One day we will see our sister in Christ again and every other believer who has died. And we have this faith. We have this hope. We have this confidence because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for this day. Again, thank you for Sunday. The day that reminds us of these truths, regardless of what's happened every other day in the past week. Thank you for the reminder of communion, the reminder of Christ's broken body and shed blood that really is the ground of our hope. It's because Christ died on the cross And because Christ rose from the dead, that we can look forward to rising from the dead as well. That we can look forward to being in your presence. That we can look forward to worshiping you with those who have gone before us. We can look forward to praising you in eternity. 
We can look forward to that day when, as Zach read, tears are wiped away and wounds are healed. And there will be no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. And so, Father, we ask you to sustain us as we wait for that day to come. As we learned this week, we don't know when our lives will end. We don't know when you will return. But, Father, I ask you to sustain us and preserve us, to hold us fast in faith and hope and confidence until that day comes. Our souls are cast down, but we place our hope in you. We place ourselves in your hands. We throw ourselves at the foot of your cross. And we're reminded that through the pain and through the grief, through the waves, through the breakers, through the tears, you are our hope and you are our salvation. Again, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for this time together to grieve, to comfort each other. And we also thank you for this time in your word to be reminded of our hope and reminded of our joy. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.